I mean, it's the, that thing that sort of once, you know, you have that crystal clear goal of where you want to get to and together as a team, that's such the fundamental part of this, that you share that story together, then, you know, the classic thing, you either find a way or you make a way. And if it's powerful enough, if you've got a strong enough reason why, you will find the way. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. I hope you're good. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Today, we've got Casper Craven, author of Be More Human and also Where the Magic Happens. We both spent our early years in our career in KPMG. We both have a passion and love of the sea and sailing. And he wrote an amazing book called Where the Magic Happens that told the story of how him, his wife, Nicola, and the three children set sail for a two-year adventure around the world. And the five years of building up to that, that uh, saw them planning and achieving that amazing goal in spite of so many setbacks. And today we're going to be talking about creating high-performing teams, drawing on his latest book, Be More Human, Rethinking the Rules of High-Performance Teamwork. I know you'll get a lot of value from this. We talk about how to re-engage teams post-furlough. We talk about how you, in times of uncertainty, can become a better leader. We talk about the importance of building trust with your teams and about listening and responding and what you hear from your teams. We pack a lot into a short conversation. So straight into my interview now with Casper Craven, author of Be More Human, Rethinking the Rules of High Performance Teamwork. Hi, and welcome back to the Business Mastermind podcast. My great privilege to have Casper Casper Craven here today. Casper uh, is a high-performance teamwork specialist. We share a love of the sea and sailing, and uh, our paths have not crossed in person, but almost been ships that passed in the night when we first connected, realizing how, how the degree of similarity it was between sailing and business and education, professional education. So Casper, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Great to be with you. So first off, um, I want you to know what a pivotal and massive impact your first book had on my family, and particularly my wife and I. Your first book, Where the Magic Happens, really got, really showed step by step how you can take a dream of sailing around the world with your family and make it not only into an amazing adventure, but make it a reality more importantly. Wow. Well, I'm, that, that's, that's, that's a wonderful place to start. Thank you very much. And I'm thrilled that it's had that impact on you. So thank you. So Casper, start, you know, I think the, the two things will knit together really, you, you know, a little bit to share with the listeners a bit about your background um, and also how you came to write your first book. What was the experience that you, that got you to your first book? And then we're going to come on to your second most, uh, your new launch book, Be More Human. But first, let's, let's find out a bit about you. Okay. So um, gosh, where to start? I guess um, back in the day, I started with a fairly conventional life, sort of university, trained as a chartered accountant for three years, started working my way up the corporate ladder, joined KPMG, worked my way up through sort of uh, middle management, touching on senior management. And um, in um, two, so I, I was, yeah, did well there around sort of 2000. Suddenly, the opportunity to go and sell around the world suddenly appeared on the BT Global Challenge. And it's one of those decisions that sort of, you know, you know, some decisions you just make in a heartbeat without even thinking about it because it's the right thing. It was one of those. 
and uh, came back from that um, sort of 10 months later with a slightly different perspective on the world, which was probably a little bit more uh, risk orientated, more grab hold of things uh, when, when they arise. And um, I went back into KPMG for a year and used that time. They, they very kindly promoted me and started putting lots of interesting things in my way. But actually, I realized that uh, a more entrepreneurial world was the place that I wanted to go to. So it was there that I, I, I then uh, launched my first uh, businesses, a whole series of online businesses. And um, that one thing led to another. That led, led me to building various different businesses um, which was all going fairly well until a certain point when uh, I realized that I was doing that classic thing of working 16, 18 hours a day, not seeing my wife, not seeing my kids, and everything was starting to get very, very crunchy, uncomfortable. The business wasn't working particularly well at that stage. And so my wife and I said, let's sit down with a blank sheet of paper and let's rewrite the story of our lives. Let's not just live it out based on history of what we were expected to do. And so that was basically the premise for the, the first book um, to rewrite your story. And so we came up with this ridiculous plan to um, go and um, sail around the world for uh, for two years. Ridiculous because my wife didn't sail, didn't have the money, didn't have a boat. So lots and lots of good reasons. And then uh, over a five-year period, we piece by piece put all those building blocks in place. And, uh, and that led to us going and um, sailing around the world. And then the first book basically came out of that that I was doing a lot of blogging and a lot of writing as we were going around. Various friends said to me, it's like, well, why don't you write a book about your experiences? And so I actually wrote the book as we sailed from Cape Town to Brazil. I got up at three o'clock every morning, wrote 2,000 words a day. Whoa. Let me give you a little bit of an insight into kind of like the way that I approach things that get quite intense and uh, focused. Yeah. And um, then uh, after we came back, took a year or so to get it published by Bloomsbury and uh, to finally get it out there. And basically the blueprint is, you know, how do you take on big, bold goals, whether that's in business or whether that's in family? And it might not be you want to go and sell around the world. It might be, you know, there's something you've always wanted to go and do. That one day I'd like to go and do this thing. So I guess the premise is rather than putting it off for one day, grab hold of it, go and do it now. And how do you build the teams? How do you make that stuff happen? Because we also turned the business around in that time period as well and sold out for a seven figure sum whilst we sailed across the Pacific Ocean. So all the things that I love this. And and well what would stop most people it will be at the point of we don't have a boat, we don't have a money, we don't have a means of funding this or financing it as we go around. Oh and by the way <laughs> the clever wife doesn't sail. You know, most people just go, we stop there, but you, you you literally made it all happen. And as you read the book, it's edge of seat stuff because you 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 encounter um, a, a serious back injury that delays your departure. You still haven't sold your business, but you go, you find a way around it. And I think your departure date was within days of the date you set five years previous. Was that right? Exactly right. You, you really have read it. The um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, which I knew anyway. The um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's the, that thing that sort of once the you know you have that crystal clear goal of where you want to get to. And together as a team, that's such the fundamental part of this, that you share that story together, then you know the classic thing, you either find a way or you make a way. And if it's powerful enough, if you've got a strong enough reason why, you will find the way. You will find the way through that. So as you said, you know, I couldn't walk and I had to have back surgery and um, you know, the business hadn't sold, so we created some other businesses because we needed to, because the um, I was talking about you know that, that story that we created, it was so powerful that literally pulled us into the future. 
and um, it made that story happen. Fantastic. So it worked as a team. Your book that's just come out, Be More Human, Rethinking the Rules of High-Performance Teamwork. Um, where did I know that's your area of specialism. I mean, you've had a lot of experience both in the world of business, uh, whether running your own businesses or through KPMG days or through your, uh, your consulting days, but also you've had a huge amount of experience in that hugely dynamic, can often be challenging environment of being at sea in a, in, in a small environment with a with a with a crew that may or may not be tight knit. Um, was this the origin of you were really appreciating the difference between the good, the bad, and the ugly in terms of teams and the impact on performance? So I could say yes, or I could just sort of say, actually, I've made more mistakes, I think, than most. And I get <laughs> a lifelong fascination now with what it is that gets people to do certain things. And the essence of team, it's a group of individuals who come together to make something happen. And it's what are those factors within that? And, uh, you know, I find the, the human species endlessly fascinating about why we do things and why we don't do certain things. And that, for me, is what sits right at the heart of um, teamwork. And as I said, I have a huge uh, wealth of uh, mistakes to draw on, which, you know, informs you. And, you know, I spent a lot of time studying people who've been, uh, you know, very successful in all walks of life. And, you know, I've had my own moderate successes and it's like, pull that together. And it's like, well, okay, well, how does that come together to sort of form um, a set of insights, a set of rules, which I think are more relevant than ever in the world that we're living in now, now that the world has been uh, disrupted by COVID-19, I think will continue to be for some time yet. I completely agree. I think one of the things you bring out in in your latest book is about the importance of trust in teams. And I think it's absolutely paramount. Uh, all the more so when people are apprehensive, they're scared, their emotions are running at a higher level. Um, From your point of view, firstly, how important is trust in teams? And secondly, how can someone who listening to this, running their own business, build the level of trust within their team? Yeah, I mean, like trust is like, for me, it's the first building block. If you haven't got trust between a group of people, you have no team. It's as simple as that. And the you know if you study the indexes the the trust is at an all time low in terms of in businesses in leaders in the media and why why is that i think there's a lot of broken promises in there people mm. say one thing and then they go and do something else and that's what trust is at the end of the day it's being consistent with what you say you're going to go and do. So, you know, how do leaders go about building trust? How do you build trust with your team? You ask open questions, you listen, and then you act upon what you hear. You acknowledge what you've heard. It really is that simple. And, you know, so many of us um, don't listen with with that full sort of um, open uh, mindset. There's a lovely saying that, you know, we only hear what we understand. And uh, so often we'll hear something and it's like, oh, yeah, I know what that means. And you, you charge off down that direction. But actually stopping and listening. And I learned this with my wife when we sort of uh, decided to sort of co-create our story of the future. And, you know, it's quite simply sort of she would share with me what was important to her and vice versa. And then I just play it back and I said, did I understand this correctly? And invariably she say, no, you got that wrong. You missed that and so on. And if it's just like, if it's as powerful as that with someone that you share your life with, then mm. with the rest of your team, the potential for that is huge. Yeah. So, you know, what is it? It's investing the time to ask the questions, to listen, play back, and then take actions based on that. 
that's you know what what it is that starts to build trust within a team. Now we both experienced on on um, out at sea and on boats, uh, sailing boats, some um, skippers that you would go to the end of the earth for. Uh, I haven't done around the world like you have done twice, but yeah, I've, I've been across it, done the arc, and I spent two months on a uh, BT global challenge boat going up to Spitsbergen and um, with Richard Tudor, who, who's relatively local to where he in in, in, in Thelly, North Wales. And not that he would have done, but we were in a pretty um, rough conditions back across the North Sea. I think we had up a force eight. And if he'd said, Gavin, go to the end of the boom in the force eight, I'd have gone to the end of the boom in the force eight. He wouldn't. But my point is I would have done anything for Richard because I had absolute total trust in him and his skills as a, as, as a mariner and as a leader. Um, the guy who's a, a private owner of a small 41-foot boat we did the Ark in was a very different story. So how do you create that followership in people, that that level of trust that somebody will go with you on that journey, even through tough and turbulent times? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Uh, the, the answer for me it comes back down, it comes down to genuinely caring about the people. And you know, I reference uh, Ernest Shackleton in the in the book. And, you know, you know, an incredible story of how he sort of led his men through the, just the most incredible sort of hardships. And they would have done anything exactly as you described uh, Richard Tudor. And I love the phrase in there that he had sort of like this, uh, almost like this fussiness of some, someone who was overly concerned with all of the team. And if you, in your heart, truly believe that the person that you're in the team with cares about you and has your best interests at heart, then that's what I think the difference is. We all know when someone is going through a management technique and Mm. just like, you know, putting that on and they're doing stuff because they're meant to be doing it. It's like, no, stop. Just really think about that person as a human being and what they're thinking about, what they're caring about. It's funny, at the front of the book, right, there's a thumbprint on there. It's like, if we ever need any reminders, just look at your thumb. It's like, we're all the same. We're all humans, right? We've all got feelings and emotions. And it's, how you feel that I think is sovereign. And um, yeah, that just comes from being genuine and uh, looking after people. And I think, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the corporate world is that so often it's always been about profits first yeah. and uh, people are the afterthought. And so one of the simple forms I have in the book is what's your pet? What are you putting first? Is it profits? Is it your ego, which very often happens, or is it other people? And when it's more often than not that it's other people, then that's how I think you really build that togetherness um, in, in that team. So in uncertain waters that we find ourselves navigating our boats, our business is through right now, what if the business owner is apprehensive, is scared, doesn't quite know the best course to chart? You know, What advice would you give that? Because you obviously want to instill confidence. You do. The... Um, the authenticity uh, rules in, in my book. And I think that we have this um, model in our heads that a leader has to be the person that's like, I've got all the answers, follow me, we'll go and do this. It's okay to say, you know what, we haven't got all the answers. This is the direction we want to go in. Here's the outcome that we want to get together. I don't know the answers any more than you do. because, And if you try to tell, tell anybody in your team that you have got all the answers, then they should rightly raise an eyebrow and be a bit concerned. And, you know, the thing that um, I found is like no one has the monopoly on having the right ideas. 
And so therefore, you know, the essence of team for me is getting all the best ideas out from the team of people and debating and being challenged. And, you know, I say Ray Dalio in his book, he talks about uh, the, the, the concept of an ideas meritocracy. The best ideas float to the surface and the best ideas win. So I think, you know, you do want to have a little bit of tension in there and sort of, you know, debate and argue well, what's the right way to do it. And clearly someone has to take the decision at the end of that. But the more involved that people are, the more engaged they feel, then the stronger the team dynamic and the more likely it is you're going to get a good response to that. So my advice to leaders is be very open with your team and share the challenges and uh, you know, harness their ideas and, and, and build the engagement. Are you tired of the instability of your business? Do you want to stop cash flow challenges, achieve stability in profit, and build a business that you could sell? Do you want to introduce strategies that provide certainty of income, reinvigorate you and your team so that you put an end to plateauing and get your business thriving again? In every sector, in every country, in every state of the economy, there are always businesses that book the trend and outperform the market. It is possible to turn your business around and grow the profitability, reach and impact of your business and put your business back on course for a worthy exit or rewarding future. In my new book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, I show you how. I wrote this book for business owners who are putting so much into their business at the expense of time with their family and on their health and who are not getting the results that they desire. I have brought 25 years of experience working in businesses large and small and combining the disciplines of business strategy with mindset with scaling a business to bring you a proven way to scale your business with certainty. To grab your free copy of Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, go to www.surviveandthrive.cc. I'll cover the cost of the book. You just cover the cost of shipping and handling. So head over to surviveandthrive.cc to get your free copy of the book. I love that and that, that authenticity about saying, I haven't got all the answers. Nobody has. This is where we're going. This is our direction. Let's work it out together. Absolutely. So you mentioned in the book uh, this the concept about the story is the star. And I think that probably segues nicely from the point we just talked mm-hmm. about. So what do you mean by that? So there's a lovely um, quote um, came from the, uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name now, but the gentleman's name, but he was the US chief of staff and uh, for, for the US government. And he said, you know, like focus on the pole star rather than getting distracted by the lights of all the passing ships. Oh, and brilliant. Brilliant. Thing is, once you've got that pole star, that story that everybody unites on that says that that's where we're going together, then it's really, really straightforward and easy because then you ask the question, well, this idea here, how does it match up against that? Does it move us closer to it? Does it move us further away from it? And I think that one of the challenges that many businesses have is they have lots of different agendas that are running on. And so I was, uh, you know, like thinking, what's the one version of the truth? What's the place that we all want to get towards? And then once you know that, it keeps coming back to that. And so from a, um, a home point of view, for five years when my wife and I were getting to, ready to go for our, our sailing adventures, you know, we had our, uh, our story written on the wall in handwritten on, on, the, um, on the wall at home. Basically, I said on the 1st of August 2014, we're setting sail as a happy, contented family, and I can recite the whole thing for you. But literally, it was that ingrained. That's what we're going to go and do. Everybody understood that. Everybody knew that. The same thing that we did in the business. 
and we shaped it up in the form of a simple, clear story. That's interesting. I did an interview last week about this. And someone said, it's like, well, the whole idea of taking a, a mission statement and applying that at home, oh, that just sounds really, really icky. And it's like my answer to that is like, actually, it's quite a good thing. Because if you take the concept of a, a vision statement, a mission statement, or a story, and you run it through the filter of the real world by taking it home, if there's anything that sounds corporate, your family will bash the hell out of it. <laughs> you'll come up with something that actually resembles normal language. And once you've learned how to do that at home, then you can take that back to work. Wow, that's again. brilliant. Because that. so much work stuff is just like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't even know what you're saying, right? You're just giving me all yeah. these actions, all these words, all this jargon, yeah. running through the filter of the real world. And families are great for that because they won't stand for any nonsense. So, um, yeah, I always think that in any team, work team, home team, it's exactly the same principles. What's the story? Where are we going? What's, what, why is it important? What, what are we doing together? Fantastic. Love that. Um, you share five principles regarding deadlines and clearly – uh, you will practice with that. You said, you know, 1st of August deadline to be setting sail as a family uh, five years out. And, you know, most people would say, gosh, we don't know what's going to be happening five months out, never mind five years out. So w- w- what have you found works really well in order to be able to set these game changing goals with a time frame of five years and hitting that deadline? So, it's funny, I'm working on my next um, business right now. And as I cast my eyes over here, I have my, my thousand day plan and I'm on my daily countdown towards it. So wow. it's a question of mapping out in advance all the different things that need to be done in order to make that, uh, make that happen. And, you know, I asked myself the question, it's like, you know, what are all the things that um, would make this fail? And therefore, okay, let's look at all those different things there and list all those out. What are all the things that need to happen? And then that results in a series of different projects. And then each of those projects are broken down into 50-day cycles. And I've literally got my 10-day cycles for each of the different projects over here on my left-hand side. So it's just being intensely rigorous and organized about it. And, you know, on the saving plans we did before, my wife is a brilliant um, planner. So, again, we came up with all these different things. So we've got to make sure we deal with medical issues, homeschooling, how do we, how do we get the money, how do we buy a boat, da, 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 so on and so on. And then you just uh, break it down and uh, you give yourself um, a timeline to go and do that, which is quite different from how a lot of stuff that I've done in entrepreneurial world where it's like, well, okay, well, you know, try this and then pivot this and try this. And it's like, this is for me different to that. It's just being uh, massively organized and disciplined. And yes, uncertainties will come up, but you adapt for those as you go along, but it's building out those project plans in order to, to make success. Certain. So presumably at day one of a thousand day plan, you don't know everything that's going to come up or need to be done or every hurdle to be overcome. You've got an idea of some. Um, you just accept that that's part of that journey and there's enough flex if you like or, or, or capacity within the plan to be able to address that absolutely absolutely i mean so 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 in terms of that i mean so, I, so we break down it's like a, what are the key priority areas what are the key things we need to do so the next business you know what's version one of the product what's version two of the product what do we need in terms of the team what do we need in terms of the infrastructure what do we need in terms of sales and marketing so it's coming up with the broad areas and then all the different uh, projects within that and yeah look of course things will come up and you adapt to that as you go along 
um, but you kind of know what the outcomes are for each of the individual um, segments as you as you go through. So I notice um, in, in in your office space around you, you have a series. I think I think uh, post its from what I can see. So uh, is this part of your planning mechanism, your process? It is. So um, the, um, the the concept that I follow here is there is only so much stuff that I can carry in my head at any one point in time. And what I try and do is free up as much um, operating space in my brain. Kind of I think of my brain like a computer. And I want to close down all those sort of, like I imagine an old Windows computer, close down all those programs that are running in the background and like spinning around with the egg timers and just using up like brain capacity. So this is kind of what you see around me. It's kind of like what I describe as my exobrain. So all the core things that I want to focus on and my core points and core bits of thinking, where I've done some really hard thinking and I've gone through a number of different iterations, that's what's on the walls all around me. And so it's kind of like the, uh, do you know the uh, the Harry Potter films talks about the concept of the Poncierge with, uh, with Dumbledore and he's putting all his memories out there. It's kind of like my equivalent of that. Uh, it, it's all around me. So, so you've literally what you, you would post it notes that I probably use blue tack D to make sure they don't come off and then you just stick them. Great. I love it. I'm fascinated by people's process. But there you go, blue tag. Fantastic. Right. And then, and, and, and again, is there any kind of structuring, a hierarchy? Do they vertical under a, a project title? So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's different areas So um, around the room. So actually, when I started doing my, uh, my critical thinking um, six months ago, then I worked from that side of the room and worked my way along here. And then down this side here, and now my core operations are on this side over here in front of me. So no, there's definitely a structure that it follows. And uh, it just means that I don't have to retain it in my brain. It's all there. I know where it is. It's in a trusted system. So again, I can just focus on answering the core questions that I've got in front of me rather than having all these open loops in my head. And the other thing I love about that with the the, the core areas right in front of you, um, it's a, it's a direct focus literally as you sit down at your computer you've got that there in front of you you know exactly what you need to be working on so it's so much easier to focus and be and also be be sure to be spending time on the right stuff absolutely and the two two things to support that as well it's like you know um one of the things is you know we 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 spend so much of our time staring at our computers right and there's there's so many different rabbit holes you can go into there and you get distracted with this that and everything else um, so that's one thing. The other thing is uh, what Daniel Kahneman talks about in Thinking Fast and Slow is saying what you see is all there is. And you know, I've thought so long about that phrase, and it is so, so true. The, the things that you consistently see around you are the things that get ingrained and embedded. So therefore, the things that I want to be reminded of and consistently around me is, is what I have on the walls around me. So actually, it's my, my entire world I'm very deliberate, specific, and conscious about everything that I have on the walls around me because I'm marketing to myself, the most important person I need to be marketing to. So right through through my bedroom, the sort of my desk in my room and um, in the kitchen, so involving the family and messages we want to have with the family. So it's uh, nothing is left to chance in terms of marketing to to ourselves in terms of the messaging around us, because it's, 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 it has such a powerful imprinting um, message. So it's, something's going to be influencing you, so why not take control of it? I love that. And that idea about marketing to myself or as a family marketing to ourselves, that you are conditioning your programming and brain as to, and each other as to your next goals, the things that you're working towards as a family and you are in your business. Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing that reminded me of that, I remember years ago we had this, uh, my, my, my wife was given this um, cat statue, 
And it's like, I don't like cats. So apologies to all cat lovers, love dogs. Um, but let's, let's keep I'm on with cat. you on that, Casper. I'm with you. <laughs> so, um, the, so we're given this cat statue and it was there on, like, on the mantelpiece. And it's like, why have we got that there? And said, so, well, because this person gave it to me. It's like, and? And it's just <laughs> it's like, and it's like, you know, we, we, I think we've all got some, something like that in our homes. And it's like, actually, let's just be, what, what are the things that we want to have around us that are important to us? So just flip me into that thing and just sort of like, just take control of what's around you because it does matter. It really does matter. Right. I love that. So where, what do you think right now, business owners bringing teams back from a protected, protracted period of absence due to furlough should be doing in order to re-engage, to get commitment, to get them used to the work, the way of work. And the reason why I ask this story is um, I've got a good relationship. So I ask this question is I've got a good relationship with HSBC and I've been talking to a number of their um, relationship managers and area directors. And they've been saying one of the biggest challenges their customers have is re-engaging their teams that have been on furlough. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a common theme I'm seeing across, across a lot of the um, companies that I'm speaking for at the moment as well. So I think the the first thing that um, people need to have in mind, leaders need to have in mind, is that everyone has had their own utterly unique experience of, of mm. the past five months or so. No two people are the same. And there's a great danger to assume that we're just going to pick up where we left off. And, you know, people, I've seen, you know, stories where people's home situations have either gone from terrible to good or from good to just appalling and things falling apart. And so there's just like, and, there's, you know, between those two spectrums, there's everything included within that. So, uh, and also then, you know, how people are viewing work and what is meaningful work to them. So I think that uh, leaders need to um, be mindful of that. And, you know, so it's taking extra care, extra concern for each of the members of the team. Now, alongside that, they clearly have to set the direction for the businesses and for the teams because there is still a lot of uncertainty ahead of us. And, you know, people need to work together as a team to navigate that. So I think, you know, it's very much the advice that we, we touched on earlier, which is saying, okay, there's the, um, that's where we need to get to. Here's the single thing that we want to achieve together as a team. We want to bring people together, get people's ideas on that, engage with people, listen to them, really listen and listen some more, and yeah, get people engaged, get people starting to do things where they are um, feeling like they're adding value and uh, doing, doing meaningful work. So combination of those two things, checking in with people, how they're doing, really listening, and then engaging the team together and uh, getting them on the journey to, to tackle the hardest problems. And, you know, there are many things that businesses need to tackle. And I think that, you know, you have to you know, come up with a list of all the different things and then ask that focusing question, you know, what are the most important things we need to focus on? We can't have seven number one priorities. Where, where do we need to spend our collective time and effort? So real focus is needed. One of the things I'm finding with my clients is that certain of them are the level of uncertainty across so many fronts that's hitting their business and uncertainty about further national, more likely localized lockdowns and you know, if they were to happen over the winter, once furlough has ended, you know, is there going to be any more furlough support? 
you know, they've used up their, their, their planning horizons for their Siebel's or business bounce back loan application was to the end of this year, but it's going to last longer. Um, the, the, the financial strains on their business, how much longer? And, and they're going into something of a decision or a planning paralysis because they're overwhelmed by uncertainty across so many fronts. What advice do you give to leaders when they're in that overwhelm? And with that level of uncertainty? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great question. The, so several things. I think one of the things is to dial down the media and the outside influences that are coming in. Um, right. I've, I've always been a big fan of that, of dialing that right down. I don't believe there's a huge amount of uh, good news that comes out of that that can be helpful. And all the important things generally filter through to you anyway. So um, I think uh, that is, is, is one important thing. I think that for uh, leaders, they have to, you know, take care of themselves first and foremost, right? And, you know, make sure you're getting, you know, enough sleep, one of my core cornerstones in the book, right? Uh, Making sure you're exercising, making sure that you are in the best mental space possible. And, you know, some of the businesses, I've been working on one of the big um, tech companies, and what they've been finding is a lot of their leaders are burnt out because they've mm. just been running so hard and like so much more intense concentration because they've been working online. And so actually they're not in a healthy state. So dial down the media and make sure that you are in a good state to go and uh, you know, be ready to um, perform and do, and do the, the, the things in front of you. And then uh, breaking it down as to, you know, okay, there's all these different things what's the most important thing that I have to move forward rather than seeing it as that uh, wall of, of overwhelm. And, you know, I often think that there's, there's, a, um, there's, there's, there's such a strong emotional piece to this as well in terms of managing your emotions and how do you respond to things. And the, I always look for the, for, for the flip of things. I was talking about you know, the concept of gifts, not arrows. When you're tackling a big, hard challenge and everything seems that it's being thrown at you, as you write down all those reasons why you shouldn't do that and all the negative reasons, and then you sort of say, okay, what's the, what's the piece of information that's telling me? What do I need to do with this? And by doing that, for me, I I personally find that just helps to get in control of my emotions rather than reacting to everything and chasing around uh, after every different thing. So So you see, you you do a reframe in your own head that the challenges, the obstacles, uh, the problems that are thrown at you in business are gifts rather than arrows. I know that sounds crazy, right? But it's... uh, That's exactly exactly what it is. This is is telling me a piece of information. What's the piece of information that I need to get back from this because here's, here's what happens right if you don't do that then you feel like you're under attack and what do you do when you're under attack you like get back the other way it's like you start doing yeah, this fight, fight or flight you know, yeah hang on a second that, 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 that's just like let's you know get back to my concept of like freeing up my mental space yeah, that's yeah. burning up mental energy for, for no end at all so you know stop breathe okay what's the message here and you know some of that stuff is painful i talk about the concept of soaking in the pain and the, the instinctively, we're hardwired to run away from painful things because it hurts. And I can understand this. But actually, if you soak in that pain, if you can, like, as much as you can stand, and it's like, okay, what is it that I need to take out of this? And there's usually something. And um, yeah, and, and, and in it, talk to other people about it as well. Talk to people who you know, can challenge your ideas, who can give you a different perspective. 
So the whole thing of, you know, sharing stuff with other people, super, super powerful. So. One moment where you, I, I, from, I read from the first book that really stood out in my mind um, was off South Africa, your daughter fell in the full cabin mm. and cut her head open. Was it Willow? It was Willow, exactly, yeah. yeah. And blood everywhere. And I can't remember if my timing's right, but you had problems with actually the the, the mast, I was going to say the rig, the, the, the mast, one of the key wires holding up the mast was starting to fray. They were both happening at the same time, didn't you? You have a problem with, the, uh, with your shroud at the same time as the Willow. Exactly. So you rushed down below decks to find blood everywhere. And how, in that moment, <laughs> you know, you're under the weather, you were in bad sea conditions, pretty strong wind from what I recall. You're being stretched as a leader, as a human being, as a father, and then Willow falls and, and, and cracks her head open in the middle of the um, of the, the, uh, the ocean. It's just like, what did, in that moment, this is what fascinates me, in that moment, what did you say to yourself to keep a grip and being able to process to soak up the pain to be able to handle it yeah so um it's funny in moments like that the world for me just feels like it goes into slow motion and i suddenly feel that i've got um time to be able to deal with things so you know the instant reaction when something like that happens is your emotion spikes and it goes off the charts about and the decisions that you make in that moment are usually not very, very good decisions in my experience because they're driven by fear and emotion. So I know that. And so it's like, okay, so it's like, you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm a crazy idiot. What on earth have I done? And it's just like, oh my God, this is all going terrible. Okay, well, let's let that go, go through quite quickly. And um, probably about half a second. And it's like, okay. We're in this situation. What do I need to do now? What is the most pressing thing that I need to deal with? And the, yeah, you're right. The rigging was starting to, to break up. So my mind went to a place, okay, I need to get the whole boat safe. So the instant thing, tack the boat, put mm -hmm. the boat on the other direction. So that takes the pressure off the mast. Everybody is now safe. That's how we're going to go and deal with that. It's then, you know, taking a breath, catching the breath, like letting your emotions come down so I can make, I can make better decisions and uh, getting uh, Willow there and with my wife and just sort of uh, with Nicola and sort of saying, okay, what are we dealing with here? And starting to assess that and uh, look at that. And we could see the cut. We could see where it was. It was, it was just here. And the, the next piece then was like, well, okay, I think we need some advice on what to do with this. And that's when we got on the radio and got some medical advice about how we're going to go and uh, stitch things uh, back together. So it's kind of like, it just kind of like, it just unfolded in the most sensible way possible by thinking it's like, what's the most important thing I've got to do in this moment? Because you can't do two things at once. It's like, okay, what am I going to do first? What do that, I need? That, that, that must be... It sounds all logical. It sounds so wise and, uh, and so brilliant. Um, but it, uh, in that moment, to actually look after the boat first when maternal and paternal, or certainly maternal instincts, are to look after an injured, heavily ble bleeding daughter, child, sh surely that 
there's a, there's a tension in the team there about where your priorities are. It is, but you know, we're fortunate. There was two of us. There's my wife and me. So it's yeah, like yeah. one, I can do the other. So, yeah. um, so that kind of, um, yeah, helped with that. And yeah, I mean, and then you came with a really innovative solution, which I, which I love. I think you might have got that through talking to a surgeon on the radio that he was in within the group. Yeah, exactly. So one day we spoke to a surgeon. He was a casualty room surgeon from Lisbon, and um, he was on another boat, um, not a million miles away. And basically said, look, you know, she, you're going to struggle to sort of get the needle in there. So basically he explained to us how we had to sort of use her hair to um, tie stitches across um, her head. So, um, oh. yeah, that's, that's basically what, what we had to do. Um, but, you know, the, the whole thing, it's, it's trying to get your emotions under, your, under control. And, you know, the, the more that I learn about our emotional systems, right, is that our cognitive thinking brain is the final 30% of our brain to develop. Our emotional brain, the back of our head, is the first 70% to develop. And, you know, following the Daniel Kahneman stuff, this is the one that kicks in first. And this is the one that kicks in last. So, therefore, you need to get to a place where this is operating and you know that the emotion is going to rage and, you know, go and do whatever it's going to go and do. But actually, this is in these situations, that's what you want to go and tap into so that um, it's, it's much more useful for you. So, but I guess, you know, it's one thing cognitively knowing that, it's another thing doing that. When so in that. the moment you do that by acknowledging the emotion you're going through and letting it go, you're taking a deep breath and you start to ask yourself logical questions that help you order your, get the thinking through the, the blur of the, the emotion. So I guess, you know, definitely I know cognitively that I've got to take the deep breath and yeah. uh, go and do that when you're in that moment um i don't know that's just kind of just what what we did what what i did and that's how i responded and i guess nobody knows how they're going to respond until they're really under under pressure and um you know that, that, that that's what shows up but i do think that you can condition yourself so that you are more likely to uh respond in a positive way when um, difficulties strike because difficulties are going to strike all of us. And, you know, very few people are going to have the same challenge that I had in the middle of a storm in the Indian Ocean with a daughter with a, with a, with a cut on her head. But we will have our own personal situations and we can train ourselves for that. How do we train ourselves for that? By tackling hard problems. And, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff in Carol Dweck's book, The Growth Mindset, that we condition ourselves to take on hard problems and we think about how we're going to go and do that. And the more that we do that, the more we become capable of tackling difficult things. So, you know, our five years preparing to go away, of getting the money together, of having you know, tons of failed different things, that just taught us that resilience to, um, you, know, take to, you know, to be able to deal with those things. So. Part of what you talk about, uh, what you talk about in the book is a, is a habit chart. So what is a habit chart? Because I know it helps you build that resilience. So what is a habit chart and why is it important? Yeah. So um, one of the um, um, things for me, again, is this thing about being really deliberate and specific and conscious about how you spend each day, how you spend every minute of the day. And, you know, once you've got your whole star story where you're going towards, then it's a question of making the choice what are the things that are going to move you and your team collectively closer to that? So I spent a lot of time studying um, you know, people who I admire and look at what they have done. 
And then basically, I've just quite simply codified that into a habits chart for myself, which is Monday through Sunday. I've got a list of different things. And so you know, one of the top things is I've got to make sure I have eight hours sleep a night. And so, right, that's the first thing. I'm a big fan of cold showers. It's sort of um, a whole bunch of um, health benefits, as well as probably the most important of me as mental benefits of training myself to be ready for the day, of making sure I'm learning five times a week or you know, taking exercise five times a week. And literally, it's on the kitchen wall, and I just have to tick off my habits chart every day. And my wife does the same thing. And our kids, or one of my kids, <laughs> asks if they can have a habits chart, and they can do it, do it as well. So it's just creating a structure so that the things I have decided are important are much more likely to happen if I'm if I have some rigor around it. So that's what it love is. it. I love it. It's been a real privilege spending time with you, connecting um, over your stories. So first of all, uh, Be More Human, Rethinking the Rules of High-Performance Teamwork. Where do people get hold of this? It's because it's a great book. I, I'm loving it. It's a, As I said, it's a fantastic build on your first book. So where do people get hold of your book? Yeah, so I have a copy here. The uh, This book right here, it's uh, available on Amazon. Uh, it's probably the best place to go and get it. And uh, it's in both um, paperback and also in, uh, in Kindle version. And you can find all the links for that on my website as well. And if what if people want uh, to get you to come and talk to their teams in their in their business around high performance uh, and how you might be able to help them build uh, high performing teams, how do they find out more about you? Yep, caspercraven.com, uh, my website, and uh, same Casper Craven, all, all the usual social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Casper, huge thanks. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you, Gavin. Hey, Gavin here. I love Casper's advice about how to re-engage teams after them being off on furlough. Everyone has had their own experience, their own unique experience. Set the direction. Here's a single thing that we'll focus on. Listen to them and get people engaged doing meaningful work. Other key tips that came out of that conversation, dial down the media, make sure you're in a good state as a leader, ensure you get plenty of sleep. Casper is a massive advocate of eight hours a night of sleep. Um, and break down your plan to all the different things that you need to do. And that phrase, gifts, not arrows. See that the challenges that are presented to you as gifts and not arrows that are attacking you. So much value in that conversation. Thank you, Casper. I encourage you to grab a copy of Casper Craven's book, Be More Human, Rethinking the Rules of High-Performance Teamwork. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.